Good morning. If uh, you have a Bible, let's go ahead and take those out and make our way to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be starting out in verse 7, go through 16 today, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if you're new here, uh, it's such an honor to have you worshiping with us today. My name is Ethan, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Well. And I'm just so glad that you came to worship with us on this day. And so I hope you find yourself at home and that you find folks that you can connect to and that you can worship Jesus alongside of us through word and singing and the fellowship that we have in this place. I do want to say uh, we're in a, a fun time of the year. And so uh, if you're new to the well or maybe you're just looking around, you'll notice about half our folks are missing. And it's not because they hate the well. It's because uh, we're in finals and heading home because half of our church is comprised of college students. And so December is a time that uh, we have may have a, a couple, you know, fewer people in the room, um, but the fellowship is just as sweet and the singing is just as great. And so I encourage folks just to lean into this time and share many cups of coffee together, many lunches, many invitations to the home, and uh, we make the most of this time. And then when the remainder of our church returns in January, it's a party again as we begin another year and another season of ministry. And so again, I'm so glad that you're here, and I, and I hope that you find yourself at home today. This morning, and, and going through uh, this, this passage, we're going to continue on uh, walking through Ephesians. I'm going into this week, uh, I've actually, I've, I've had the joy of, of getting to serve um, the Well Network, our church planning network, for five years, going into this week. And it, it has been a wild ride. I, I have loved uh, all of it. There's been so many high points and uh, hurdles and moments of laughter and crying and many, many, many God stories. And uh, along the way, I've gotten the chance to meet many folks that are directly involved in ministry around the country and specifically in church planting. And uh, truly, my, my last five years has, has been really embracing and, and deep in that concept of church planting. So whether it's here or with Church of the Oaks in Tuscaloosa or Banner Church with Malachi and Liz or just other church planners around, there is a common thread that I've witnessed and I've seen that happens in our types of communities and specifically with leaders in church planting. And the thing, the common thread, the conversation that gets talked about generally the most is how does the church plant grow? How does the church grow? And when I'm talking about growth here specifically in this type of conversation, I'm talking about what most people talk about here, and that is the number of people that are a part of a church. So the number of people that are part of a church, that's the conversation that I have a lot of times with other folks. And it is a thing that we really do talk about a lot. How do you grow numerically your church plan? These are all the conversations, classes, equipping, it centers around that. And so one of the most common questions that people ask me about our church family is this. They'll say, hey, how many folks y'all running on Sunday? Or how many folks are in the congregation now? That's, that's the most common question I get asked outside of our church family. And the reason I get asked that is generally because that is the bigger, the better. And, and I totally understand that. Um, but I wrestled with that question in the early days of our church. And in that first year, I still think about that. I did today for pretty much a lot of conversations, training, equipping, you name it, church plan or not is revolved around that question. Now, I'm not against a church that grows. In fact, I, I am for it. Uh, I pray that our church grows. I pray and I expect our church to grow. I believe that healthy churches will, in fact, grow. But listen, the way 
in which a church grows matters. So growing is one thing, but the way in which a church grows matters. What the church is doing and the way the members in the church at large embrace growth are of the utmost importance. And see, when Paul speaks about the church growing in the passage we're about to read, believe it or not, he is not so much talking about the number of disciples that are in the church, but he is talking about the maturity of the disciples that are in the church. As one pastor said, I heard him say like this, when our church goes to heaven one day, Jesus won't just count the number of members in our church, but he will weigh them for spiritual maturity. See, God doesn't just want us to grow numerically. That's fun. But he wants us to grow in faithfulness, in obedience, in maturity as followers of Christ. See, numerical growth does not always mean faithfulness. Just because cancer grows doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing. And see, this is the heart of what Paul is communicating in the next section of Ephesians. And so I want us to see how the Lord intends for our church to grow and how we will, what we will look like and what our members will be like on the other side. So I want you to look in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read together starting in verse 7. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and with the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, and by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with, 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 with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So let's pray together and we will unpack how the church is to grow. Father, we come to you now understanding and seeing that your word is true, that it cuts to our hearts, and it's the foundation of what we build everything upon in our church. And so God, I pray that right now you would lead us into a deep and mature understanding of not just us as believers, but us as a church. And that at the end of our days, you would look upon the well and you would say they were faithful. So God, I pray that you would lead us through this now and that you would grow us deep as individuals and as a church family together. God, we commit this time to you, asking that your spirit will move in this moment. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. So last week, we 
began the second half of Ephesians. And so if you weren't here, we began the second half. We're in chapters 4 through 6 of the book of Ephesians. What Paul is doing is he is giving the application of what we are to do as the church. The idea and the ethics of what we do in the day-to-day, what we do as a congregation, based on who God is and what we learn in chapters 1 through 3. And so there is a manner in which believers within the church are to live and to act out in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And so if you were here last week, we talked about the five marks of what a believer looks like in living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, including being humble and gentle and patient, forbearing, and then having an eagerness for unity or solidarity. We see this in the church. And so after this, in verses 7 onwards, what he begins to unpack and teach us is now that you have this manner worthy of the gospel that's carried out in the church, well, what does the church look like as it grows? What does that look like on the congregational level? And see, what we have here is Christ beginning, or Paul beginning to explain this mentality for the church at large. And so in verses 7 through 10 and onwards, I want you to see the characteristics of the growing church. And so he begins to prepare it in verses 7 through 10. And so if you look again at those verses, he says, grace was given to you, each one, according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so what we see happening here is this, is that if you are in the body of Christ, God has gifted you. Truly, he has gifted you with spiritual gifts, with abilities to serve the body of Christ. Sometimes we think that when it comes to the ministry of Jesus Christ and what we do in our church family, that there are a handful of people that are really gifted. We see people that might be leading in a more of a public sense or maybe have a deep drive in one area or another. And we think those are the gifted people. But the reality is, if you are saved by Jesus Christ and His Spirit lives within you, you are gifted. And Christ has given you a measure according to His grace to go and serve the body of Christ. He teaches us this in verse 7. And so in verses 8 through 10, He explains why He does this. In verses 8 through 10, Paul actually backtracks and alludes to a psalm speaking of victory in a war. And what we see in verse 8, when Paul begins to teach further on this, he says, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Found in Psalm 68. And so the idea is that you have a conqueror of a war, and after someone wins a battle, they take the law, they take the spoils, and they divide it amongst the victors. And so Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has led us, the sinners, a host of captives on high, and he has given us the spoils of victory and gifted us according to himself. And so we see this foundation that you and I have these giftings to serve in the church, to teach in the church, to love in the church, to build community in the church to do all of these different things because Christ has defeated death. He has sent us His Spirit who lives within us and now we're gifted. And so in the church, the main idea is simply that God has given you this measure of giftedness and it's your responsibility to use it. 
You have this gift, and now you must use it. And so what he begins to do is talk about how that is so and what it will look like. So I want to give you two characteristics today about this giftedness and about how the church plays into this growth idea I'm talking about. I want to give you two characteristics of what this means for every single one of us today based on this passage. Characteristic number one of a growing church that I want you to see is number one, that every member is committed to ministry. That every member is committed to ministry. In this passage, in verses 11 and 12, so you see that it's his words, not mine. In verses 11 and 12, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, watch this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what's going on here is we see this five-person dynamic, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. God has given them to the church for the equipping of the saints, which is you and I in the body, which is us at large. We are the church, you and I, and God has given these shepherds, these teachers, so that you would be equipped to do ministry. You have the apostles and prophets who are co-laborers in the foundation of the church. And then you have the evangelists and shepherd teachers today who cultivate this in the church. You'll notice this is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. See, the reason we have pastors and shepherds and evangelists and leaders in the church, the reason we have that is not so that they would do ministry themselves, but they would come alongside you and that we would do it together. That we would be in this ministry of Jesus Christ as one. One of my favorite pastime hobbies when I was growing up as a child was fishing. And it's because my dad loves fishing. And so when I was a kid, I really wasn't worth two cents when it comes to fishing because I thought it was as simple as you go and you look at like the little depth finder on the side of the boat and when you see the little icon go by, that's where you throw your reel in and and, and that's not what it is. Um, But I remember growing up and going fishing with my dad and he was very, very gracious uh, to take me with him because I was a pain in the butt. And the reason I say that is when when we would go, I I didn't contribute nothing to the fishing trip. Uh, He would prepare all the gear. He would prepare the truck and the boat. We would get to the water. I would sit in the boat. He would unload the boat and the water. I'd just sit in. He'd take the truck up. He would get all the rods and reels ready. He would get the lures ready. He'd get the bait ready. He would get everything ready. And even while we were fishing, I would struggle to do all the things. I didn't know how to tie knots because I just couldn't do it when I was a kid. And he would tie all my knots for me. And he'd help me when I got my bait hung in the water on some branch because I was awful at casting. And all these different things. But he would continually take me along. And when I got older and I began to fish more and more with my dad, uh, he didn't have to do those things as much anymore because he would teach me. He would teach me how to back the boat into the water. He would teach me how to tie my knots. He would teach me how to set the line and to reel it in. He would teach me how to drive the boat. He would teach me how to do all those different things. And see, what happened was he was equipping me. And I became a fisherman over time. See, this is how the church works. That the leadership within the church 
doesn't just take you on fishing trips, but it teaches you to become a fisherman yourself. See, one of the things that tends to happen in churches today is that ministry is reserved for the pastoral staff, for the deacons, the leaders, the top-tier folks, right? That's why you pay them, right? But see, that's actually not the case. See, the leadership in the church exists to lead you to do ministry. Where every member, watch this, is not a consumer of the church, but every member is committed to the church and the workings of her. That we're not a consumer of the church, but committed to the church. Why is it then that churches today are filled with folks who are committed to only consume content rather than be committed to ministry? I believe part of that answer is that we have this passage in reverse. That members raise up leaders who do the work so that we can sit on Sundays rather than leaders who raise up members who are sent from Sunday. It's backwards. And see, our church cannot be compromised or or comprised of folks who just attend our gathering. But notice what we are committed to. In this passage, he says we are committed to the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. It is not just my responsibility, but it's our responsibility. You see, it's every single one of us. You must be committed to the ministry, every single one of you, the work of the Lord. See, what your commitment is towards is making disciples and building community and living sent to caring for the poor, for the widow, to tending to the fatherless, to the ministry of presence, to the ministry of prayer, to using your giftings to build up the body of Christ. This is your responsibility and this is your privilege. What are you doing today to actively contribute and demonstrate your commitment to the church? Or are you just a consumer? I want to challenge you to start today by leveraging, stewarding your gifting, what Christ has given to you to serve this family of faith. And if you don't know where to start, just ask the person next to you if there's any way that you can serve them this week. And you would be amazed what that question does. Every member radically committed to the ministry of God. This is the mark. It's a characteristic of a growing church. So number one, that characteristic is that every member is committed to ministry. But the second characteristic of a growing church that I want you to see from here is not only is every every member committed to ministry, but number two, every member is committed to maturity. Every member is committed to ministry, but number two, every member is committed to maturity. Look at verses 13 and 14 in this passage. Paul writes, we do this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. See, when we commit ourselves to the work of the Lord, we're committing ourselves to the ministry of Christ, to the ministry of the church, but we're also making a radical commitment to grow deep in Christ, to grow in maturity, 
to take adolescence and to let that stay behind as you move deeper into Christ's likeness, as He sanctifies you, as He grows you through His Word. See, we're committed to this maturity. And He calls us to do this and grow until we have unity in the faith. Verse 13, till we have knowledge, this deep knowledge of the Son of God, to this maturation, to the measure and stature of Christ. We are to grow in maturity. For us as a church family, you, if you've joined with us, the reason we have four marks of maturity is because of this passage right here. That it is easy and tempting for us to go through the Christian life just nominally coasting, getting saved, experiencing the grace of God, and then settling for the surface. But what Paul is saying is that there is more to be found in Jesus. The unity that you can have in the fellowship, the knowledge you can have with the Lord through the Word, and then this maturity that comes over time. He wants us to aspire to be mature. Why does he say this? Verse 14, so that we would not be like children. So that we wouldn't be like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine. Within the church and within just life in general, children can be swayed easily. I remember as a kid, um, when I was in the fifth grade, uh, my Sunday school class, back when we called it Sunday school, uh, we had this weekend trip. We were out in the woods. And when I was there, uh, I remember just being so excited because I was like, man, rock band just came out. This is going to be sick. <laughs> All these different things. And, and I remember one of the guys in the group said, hey, how many of you guys have ever been snipe hunting? And I thought, whoa, that's cool. Like, I fish. Like, obviously, I want to hunt. And I thought, well, this would be cool. Tell me about it. And so if you don't know what that is, you'll see in a moment. <laughs> uh, we had this guy in our group, and he, he was asking us, hey, we should, we should all go snipe hunting. We're out in the woods. It's going to be epic. And I was like, what on earth is a snipe? And he said, man, it's like this. It's like this little bird, and it sits in the woods, and it's really, really valuable. They fly, but they don't really. They just kind of run on the ground. And what you do is you get like a Walmart sack or a pillowcase or a trash bag, and, and what you do is you're going to sit on a tree in the dark, in the middle of the woods, and what we're going to do is we're going to leave you there. And we're going to get some flashlights, and we're going to make a big like, big radius around where you are, and we're going to spook the snipes to come and get, run to you. When they run up, you're going to hear them coming. You just swipe them up in your bag, and it's going to be epic. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. Like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to be a hunter, and it's going to be sick. And I remember just being so excited about that. And so me and uh, one of my best friends, we were at this tree. They took us way deep into the woods. We were so deep in the woods. It's raining. I don't care because we're snipe hunting. And I just sit on this tree. I didn't prepare for this, so I'm freezing. I'm soaking wet, but I'm like, I'm getting me a snipe. I'm doing this. And so... They leave us at the tree, and then they go, and they're going to go do their perimeter and start to spook the snipes in. And um, I was there about 30 minutes. The rain's going pretty hard, and not really hearing a lot. And that's okay. Like, I got patience. Like, I have endurance. I can be steadfast through this. And in about an hour in, I, I didn't see anything. And so um, I 
here are my friends. An hour in, they said, Ethan, we're going to do another round. I'm like, all right. And I know you shouldn't be yelling and hunting. I should have figured something out there. But they did another round. And so another hour goes by. Rain's coming down. It's getting darker. And I'm getting scared. And my friend's sitting there trembling. I'm like, dude, we, there ain't a lot of snipe out here in North Alabama. They in Mississippi or something. And we go another hour. Friends come out. We're doing another round. They go another hour. We're five hours deep in the snipe hunting. And I just determined, yo, this is stupid. Hunting is stupid. I'm done with this. And so I'm drenched. It looks like I've been in a pool. And I just start making my way out of the woods, me and my buddy. And so we get to the house. And there are all my friends eating pizza and playing rock band. I said, what are y'all doing? And they said, oh, you figured it out, didn't you? I thought, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. There's no such thing as a snipe, you dummy. And I let my friends trick me into four or five hours of just being miserable in the woods. And I just remember thinking about that. Funny story, almost, our family almost took Lauren to do that last week, but Lexi stopped me. And she said it wasn't Christ-like. <laughs> so I, I was a kid, and I was swayed, and I was tricked by this fanciful story of the small bird that's going to run up and be brought up in my trash bag. That's the story. And see, listen, I was a kid, and I was fooled by my friends. I, I want you to hear me on this. The cultural tides and the false doctrines of the world, they want to take you snipe hunting. If you're not committed to grow in maturity, you will not just find yourself at a tree for four hours, but you will find yourself in a forest of false doctrine, false teachers that confuse you and lead you into deception, and you won't even know it. Folks, we have never had more access to preachers, teachers, ministry, churches, and resources than anyone else in Christian history than we do right now in this moment. And just because it has a Jesus label on it doesn't necessarily mean that it is good. But in fact, there is a substantial amount of teaching that is rooted in immaturity ignorance, and downright deception to take a believer and lead them astray. This is what he says here in verse 14. Don't be like children who are swayed by the wind. Don't do that, but grow in maturity. Listen, if you are here still drinking spiritual milk, sooner rather than later, you need to move to spiritual meat to growing, to mature in what God has called you to be instead of delaying adolescence further into life. There is a time and a place to be a kid. There is. There's a time and a place to be a child and to nurture and care for spiritual infants. But there is also a time to grow, to become the man or woman of God that God has called you to be and to be fully sustained by him and his word. Are you committed to maturity, to growing in Christ? And when you do, you can look at that snipe hunter in the face and say, no. We are committed to maturity. And that means in the years to come, we dive deep into his word and into this church 
so that we would bear fruit and to be able to sustain through the cultural tides and through all the doctrines that are thrown at our face. Finally, here's how he closes this passage. He says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, the way he closes out this passage is that we learn that Christ is the head of the church. And so we have pastors in this church, but we are not the chief shepherds of this church. Christ is. He is the head of the church. The rest of the body, which is us, is joined to him. And what he is saying is when it is equipped, when it is prepared, when it is rooted in the word and ready to go, it is working properly and the church grows, building itself up in love. See, when you have a church where every member is committed to ministry, every member is committed to maturity, the end result is that it grows together under the lordship and headship of Jesus Christ. It is not that, and hear me on this, it is not that we have to be the coolest church in town or have to have the most dynamic worship service or have flawless guest services or create perfect age-graded ministries from babies to senior adults, serve expensive coffee or have the most expensive building in town to see this church grow in the manner that Christ wants it to grow. We don't have to have those things. It is a church where everyone says, I am in. My yes is on the table. I'm committed to ministry and I'm committed to growing into Jesus. This is the church that Paul speaks of here. To be sanctified according to his word, that's the way he intends for us to grow. And by God's grace, he is doing it. Church family, if you're not committed to ministry, not to be vocationally, but every member committed to the work of Jesus Christ in this church and in this community, you need to commit today. And see that this isn't a suggestion, but this is the mandate God gives us. If you're not committed to the ministry, join in today. Lay your yes on the table. Going beyond just coming to a Sunday gathering every single week but living it out every single day of your life. And then if you're not committed to going deep into the gospels, deep into his word, deep into your relationship with Jesus, today, would you give that to him? Say, Lord, I want more of you. I want want more of your word. I want more of your truth. I want more of your presence in my life. Commit to maturity, and then watch him grow you in the years to come. Now, before you grow in Jesus, you have to know Jesus. This past Friday, I was at a funeral, and it was the the funeral of Steve Schoen. And uh, if you don't know who that is, um, he was the former music minister at University Baptist Church, and uh, me and him became very, very close uh, working together here at the church. And so 
our offices were next to each other, and so we had many laughs and, and many great memories together. Um, this past Saturday, not yesterday, but the last one, he, he passed away. And I mean, he went on to be with the Lord after fighting cancer in his life. And this man, based on what I witnessed in the final year of his life, I saw that this man loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't just know things about Jesus, but he knew Jesus. He knew him. And at his funeral, Bobby Burt um, was officiating and, and preaching this funeral. And he just shared about the life of Steve. And, and then he began to share about the gospel and the faithfulness of God. And he looked at everyone and he said something that was just so profound to me. He said that in this world, if you are born once, you will die twice. But if you are born twice, you will die only once. Meaning that without Jesus, you will not only have a physical death, but you will have a spiritual, eternal death as well. One that will last forever in hell. But if you are born again, as Jesus says in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, if you are born again, you will live forever. And while you may face a physical death on this earth, you will have everlasting life in eternity to come in heaven. Steve was born again. The members of this church are born again. So my question for you today is, are you born again? Do you need to trust in Jesus today? See, Jesus took death, hell, and the grave, and he conquered those things. And it's by faith in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone that you can be saved from your sins. Everything that you have done, everything that you have done today, everything that you will do in the future, it is covered by the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. In John chapter 4, he says, if you drink of the living water, it will well up in you eternal life. This is what you find in Jesus Christ. And so if you are here and you have never trusted in Jesus, look right at me. If you have never trusted in Christ, do not wait another day. Do not wait, but call out to Jesus as he is calling out to you through his word, that he is the friend of sinners, the son of God, and he can save you now. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait until the end of your life, but trust in Jesus today and be brought into the family of God. Be made a new creation and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the hope of the gospel, and this hope can become reality for you today. If you trust in him, if you don't know him, he's calling now. Trust in Christ and he will redeem you. Let's pray together.